Hi, I'm Lucy, and you're listening to Catholic vs. Atheist. So, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you believe, and why you believe it. Okay, um, well, I am from Ontario, and I was raised in a family that was Jewish and Protestant, but we practiced nothing really, like, you know, we celebrated Christmas, but not with any type of religious uh, undertones. And we we would do um, religious kind of events, like uh, Passover and stuff with my dad's family. But as a child, I was never encouraged to believe in God or pray, or there was never any mention of my relationship with God or okay. religion. Um, we were always encouraged to be curious and to ask questions and um, read. We read all the time, right? And I was always fascinated by biology and how things worked. Because of the exposure and the openness that we had with science, even if my parents didn't know the answer to a question, there was no religious answer. It was always either, you know, we don't know or let's look in this book, right? Is it safe to say that you are a materialist? You believe that there's only matter and energy in the universe? There's no supernatural soul or su a supernatural God? That's right. Okay. You believe that your mind is nothing more than a certain configuration of neurons and cells in your brain, in your spinal column, in your whole body, and how they interact with the rest of the universe, right? Right. Okay. There's nothing supernatural. There's no fairy dust in there. Right. Presumably, if you believe in science, you believe in cause and effect, that no right. effect happens without a cause. Right. Okay. So what we can conclude from those two facts is that you do not believe in free will. Is that true? Right. Okay. So without free will, there can be no real justice. There can be no real praise. There can be no blame. And when the criminal goes before the judge, it's just theater, really. It's it's just what's happening. It's not like the judge is really passing judgment. It's not like the criminal is really guilty. He's just doing what he had to do, and that's just what happened. While I believe that there is no free will, and you know everything just occurs, like I I don't think that that gives us leave to. No, there's do no leave. Will, no, right? there's by definition, yeah. there's oh, no leave oh, yeah, to do but anything. I, but I mean, for like, good or for we evil, st we still do have this the impression, yeah, the illusion that, yeah. you know, so I, I, th I think realistically the way that we live our everyday lives is identical, right? Like we still must act with values and morals and people should still go to prison and people should still work hard. And but your should is different from my should. Your should applies to everything and you're locked into everything. Well, I, my should is a much more dangerous affair because what's at stake for me is eternal bliss or eternal sorrow, you know? And when you say people should do the right thing, of course you say that because every, everyone should do exactly what they have to do. There, there's no choice, right? Every state of affairs is the logical consequence of the preceding state of affairs. Even if realistically I don't believe that I am making this moral choice. The 
things that cause me to make this choice are so infinitesimally small. The, the only difference is that I believe I should do it because I'll feel better. And it but do you also, are you capable of seeing from my point of view that there is a God, there is a supernatural soul, that we do have free will, that our, what we do does matter, really, not just in appearance. I mean, everyone can identify with the experience of actions having consequences, and so heaven and hell would be just a series of actions having a consequence. So I do think that I can. So to the extent that you are a moral person, that's the role that you've fallen into. Those molecules have fallen into that configuration here. It's no better or worse than Hitler's configuration, right? Right. You're no better or worse than Hitler. Right. I, I mean, like... <laughs> Objectively yeah. speaking. Uh, yeah. Like, from a bigger scale, absolutely not. However, we do still live life on a very small scale. When you look at yourself objectively in a clinical, philosophic manner, you can say, I don't have free will, nothing matters. But when you're living your life day to day, you do the good thing because it's the right thing to do. And, because... and you don't question the mechanisms that are so subtle behind that. Right. Okay. I really hope that you can understand that from my perspective, you are created by an all good God and that you have a conscience. And that's why you do the right thing because you're listening to yes. your conscience and God made you this way with freedom. Right. True freedom, which is by definition supernatural. And that's why you're a good person. And, you know, we can educate our conscience and we can grow in virtue and we can move towards God, whether we believe in him or not. Or we can go in the other direction by being indulging in selfishness. You know, we can go in the opposite direction. Whether you believe in God or not, you can go away from God, right? So, have you heard this sort of thought experiment where there's a ship that needs repairing? And how, how much they can replaced, you replace and yeah, still the they same replaced ship. one plank. It's still the same ship. Right. But as it goes on and on and on and on, eventually there's no original plank. Right. And there's no original, not even one stitch of original ship. And our bodies are doing this, right? I think our oldest cells are maybe seven years old or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Is that what you told me? Uh, the That's for bones. I'm not sure how long... I think neurons, neurons last. I think neurons last for the like. If you have a neuron, it you've had it for your life. But I'm not sure. I think I've had a neuron entirely. <laughs> yeah. So you are you because of this particular configuration of energies and matter. Matter and energy are the same thing, right? Principle mm -hmm. of equivalence: E equals m c squared. And there's a principle of conservation of matter energy, which means we've got what we've got. It's neither created nor destroyed. It just moves around. And then with entropy, of course, we have this inevitable heat death coming, which means that there's definitely a beginning of the universe because otherwise the heat death would have already arrived if we had infinite time behind us and so on and so forth. So we live in a universe that has a beginning and there's a principle of conservation of energy and matter. What I call Lucy is just this particular configuration. Mm -hmm. But like we said with the boat analogy where you've got a plank here and a plank there and you remove this, not a big deal. But if eventually you've re replaced everything, how is it the same? And that's who you are. Your, your planks have been replaced. Your cells have been replaced. So you're not just one configuration. You're a whole bunch of configurations. So what I want to talk about in this sci-fi thought experiment is if we could reproduce that configuration, by definition, it is you. Yeah. 
So there's no limit to how many Lucy's there could be. Right. If that were to occur, where we were cloning people exactly, and it, so it was like all of these people were the same, I think that for us to continue to have a functioning method of life, we would have to call them different things. Okay. However, in I, I believe that they would be the same. Lucy 1, Lucy 2. Yeah, or something. <laughs> <laughs> However, um, what I would be interested in is, and I understand that there's some kind of difficulty with the, you know, like, is the Bible to be taken word for word, or is it symbolistic of something, or... The Bible, when it was written in all the parts and put together, my understanding is that it relied heavily on the philosophy of Aristotle, much of the scientific parts of which were disproved during the scientific revolution and beyond. Okay. How do we interpret? Do we interpret very literally or is it more symbolic? When they say Joe went to the store to buy milk, the first thing we do is we say, okay, well, let's assume that they're trying to tell us that Joe went to the store to buy milk. Unless we have a reason to say, well, it can't be. Right. And then if it can't be, then we look for higher levels of meaning. Not to say that there couldn't be a higher level of meaning even if Joe did go to buy milk. Maybe he did go to buy milk, but that has a semantic value. That means something. Just like you know about these ship's flags and all the colors and the shapes and all that sort of thing. They have meaning. Everything means something, everything. So there's the literal, there's many, many layers of spiritual reading, and there are all kinds of literary styles in the Bible. So that's the first thing that I wanted to address. The second thing had to do with science in particular and Aristotle and a lot of interpretation of the Bible on that scientific level and how it changed over time. Right? Yeah, and basically the church at the time of the scientific revolution, they would first resist and then say, oh no, this is right. But when the Bible said it, it was symbolic. I am told to believe, and I do believe, that there's no error in Scripture, that God is the primary author of Scripture, that it was written by humans, uh, the patriarchs and the saints that put their pen to parchment right. or whatever they did, and that they were inspired, and that they exercised their free will, and that they had, the, had these inspirations, and they wrote what they wanted to write, and they wrote what God wanted them to write, and that God is the primary author, and they are the secondary authors who are cooperating with God's grace, okay? So there's no error. There is no danger of infallibly proclaiming a scientific dogma that will be disproven later. Why? Because the dogmas don't pertain to natural science. The dogmas pertain to faith and morals exclusively. So the church can't say that the earth is the center of the universe. Dogmatically, it can't say that. And it may be that the church at one time, in the time of Galileo, for example, thought that the earth was the center of the universe. It may be. But even if that's the case, it's not a dogmatic position. It's just that was their conservative position based on where they had come from and they hadn't caught up to the science, but they were willing to catch up to the science. They just wanted to do it on their own terms and at, in their own pace and to make sure that they cross every T and they dot every I and that everything's in order, there's no contradiction. Yeah, it's a cautious approach and it's one that I think can be a little bit embarrassing looking back on it, but I'm not embarrassed by it. I find it reasonable because of the burden of responsibility that they have and because they don't want to jump on every fashion, because there are fashions in science and there are false trails as well. 
So they just want to be sure and they just want to go slowly and that sometimes can come across as being a little bit stodgy. When the church looks back on its own history and sees that it called CPR evil, then how can it look at its modern contradictions with science in relation yeah. to humanism and have conviction? If we look at the lives of the saints, and we look at the history of the saints, and we look at the canonization process of the saints, now I don't want you to—I don't want you to generalize this too much. I don't—I don't know how frequently it happens, but I've certainly seen examples of it in the history of the church. Okay, that the saints at their time are persecuted by the church, they're repressed by the church, they're oppressed by the church, they're demonized by the church, and then 200 years later, 400 years later, they're seen as a saint and they're canonized as a saint. How does this church move forward and as it's stepping on its saints today, it's canonizing them tomorrow? How does it do that? How did the Jews who killed their prophets claim to be the sons of the prophets that they killed? You know, Jesus in his own day was persecuted and belittled by Jews who were claiming to be the sons of the prophets and Jesus turned around and said, you have the blood on your hands. It's, I think it's always the case, and the, the answer, the short answer, is original sin. That's the short answer. We are in a fallen world. We're in a pilgrimage here. We've fallen from God's grace. We're on our way back to God's grace. And in the meantime, we're literally crushing each other's skulls in this pilgrimage. My life, moment to moment, is like, oh my God, I can't believe how foolish I was yesterday. But I'm just as foolish today. And what's worse, I'll be just as foolish tomorrow. There's very little progress in me spiritually. And the only thing I can do is say, I am fallen. I'm a sinner. I am weak. I am nothing. I am a fool. I need God. It's humbling. If you look at the lives of the saints, you'll see, you'll recognize in them that they are like you and they're like me. The only difference is that they know that they need God. They, they just know that they're weak. We think that we are tough and we're tough-minded and we're intelligent and we think that we can confront the world and that we can manage our lives and that we can do a pretty good job of it. But the saints depended on God and they put their faith in God and in God alone and they were honest with themselves about their, their weaknesses and about their, their ability to be wrong, not only about science but about morality and about everything else, even, even about faith. So it's a really, really tricky question, you know, the problem of evil, specifically and especially within the church. Evil within the church is a real thing. So there's, there's always this punishment that we're carrying with us in this fallen world. Why would someone who loves you punish you like that? It's who, not, who is perfect? Like, I can, I can yeah. understand people who love someone, you can treat them poorly and be awful to them and still love them, but someone who is perfect and only good and everything that is good, how could... God is not the source of any evil ever. He's incapable of evil. He is goodness itself and he is the source of everything that's good. So everything that you love and cherish, life, beauty, goodness, justice, truth, everything that's good, that comes from God. God is a source of everything that's good. And everything that you hate, pain, suffering, injustice, ugliness of any kind, all the evils of the world, they all come from original sin. 
God allows those consequences to play themselves out, okay? Because he can bring good out of it. That's how powerful he is. He's omnipotent. He can bring good out of evil. And therefore, since there's evil in the world and God is incapable of evil, there must have been a fall. There must have been a movement away from all that goodness. Because in Catholic philosophy, evil is not a thing. Evil doesn't exist. Evil is a lack of good. So if you want to think of it in terms of light and darkness, there's light. Darkness is a lack of light. Right. There's heat. Coldness is a lack of heat. There's knowledge. Ignorance is a lack of knowledge. There's love. Hatred is a lack of love. Indifference is a lack of love. Okay, well, how do you know that it's not the opposite? Like, how do you know that goodness is the natural state? So you and I take a walk and we discover an apple tree, okay? And you're like, hey, look at these apples. And you grab one, and I grab one, a different one. And you're like, oh, this apple is perfect. And I say, oh, lucky you, because my apple is half eaten with mold and worms and, and decay. And then we split your apple because mine's no good to eat. So we just share your apple. And then as we're thinking about it, we're like, well, which apple was more apple-y? Was it yours? The perfect one with the nice color and the texture and the firmness and the odor and the taste and the white flesh and the integrity and the wholesomeness of it and the way it felt going down? Or was it mine, the one that was melting almost in my hand and that stank of death? Which one was more of an apple? I don't think it takes rocket science to figure out which one is the basis of reality. It's goodness. It's wholesomeness. It's health. It's beauty. But wouldn't the natural state be goodness and wholesomeness and That is the natural beauty? state. However, if that is true, then wouldn't it be that love is a lack of hate? Hatred is a lack of love for the same reason that the healthy apple is more of an apple than the rotten apple. The Catholic teaching is that goodness is and evil is a lack of goodness. So a cancer cell is a healthy human cell that gets deformed and malfunctions and is out of whack. It's disordered, right? It's falling away from its function and it's falling away from its form. However, what that is, is a mutation that happens to occur in one spot instead of in another. So a cancer cell and another type of cell the mutations may be different, but neither of them is necessarily... I'm not saying that cancer is good, but in the grand scheme of things, a cancer cell is a cell that has a mutation that is uh, bad for life. And a human cell is the result of millions and millions and millions of mutations that happened to be good for life. In the way that we see good and bad. I think that one of the difficulties is that we fundamentally see, we see things in a different light. What would be the tragedy of my life having taken the leap of faith? I don't think that religion in itself is bad. However, I hold a view that when people get carried away with religion, there can be consequences. And I'm not saying that all religion is bad because of that. What I mean is simply that... Fanaticism is dangerous. Right. And that if you believe... And I'm not saying that all atheists are like 
you know, open to change. However, the, I think that the way that I, I see things is that if I can understand it and experience it and touch it and feel it or comprehend it, then that is my best estimation of that it is real. And if what I can experience changes, my view changes, mm. right? It seems to me that atheism is flexible. More skeptical, maybe? Yes. I and consider myself a skeptic. So, but what I mean is that the number of deaths that have occurred because of religion, like if Do you, you know think the about, statistics? More people have been killed in the name of atheism than in the name of religion. Add up the numbers of deaths caused by communists versus deaths caused by religious. The communists have killed more. It's a materialistic worldview that explicitly puts atheism at its core. How? It's not incidental. It says there is no God and we need to make paradise on earth because there is no God and there is no heaven. The only heaven is here. So let's make heaven here. And how do we do that? Get a committee together to plan society and let's just build it from scratch. So round up the religious people, round up the intellectuals, kill them and let's start over. Okay. No one's going to do it for us. God's not going to do it because he doesn't exist. That's the story of communism. So how do you start over? Mass killings. And you can't just say, oh, well, they're not religious, so it doesn't matter. It matters what you believe. And if you're an atheist, and if you're a materialist, and if you deny the supernatural, and you don't believe in free will, and you don't believe in morality, that's a very, 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 very dangerous philosophy. You may not express it in a dangerous way. You may not round us up and kill us, but you're part of that team. And it's incredibly dangerous, and it's a reality in the world that I live in. It's a real thing. It's a, there's a spiritual battle taking place, good versus evil. And I'm not saying that you are consciously on the side of evil, but I'm saying you are on the side of evil, philosophically. And do you mean that all religion is better than no religion? I'm saying that there's one light source, and I'm orienting myself consciously and explicitly toward the light and saying, I want to partake of that light, I want to go to that light, and someone else is denying the very existence of that light, then from my perspective, they are for darkness. If they're not for light, they're for darkness. So people partake of the truth to varying degrees. The fullness of the truth resides in the Holy Roman Catholic Church. The Jews don't have the fullness of the truth. The Muslims don't have the fullness of the truth. They have God Almighty. But they're missing. They're missing the Trinity. They're missing the Incarnation. And, and the Protestant Christians are missing the sacraments. They're missing a lot. But if two people lived their lives the exact same way, and they both strove to make the people around them happy and be good people and work hard and be compassionate and considerate, and one of them did it because it was right, and one did it because they thought it was right because of God. There's more merit they, if you do it for God. If two people do something that's bad, and one says they're doing it for God, and one says they're just doing it because they feel like yeah. it, then which one would be worse? The religious person. Anytime that Christians or Catholics have done evil. done evil, it's more evil than when an atheist does it. Yeah, The good they do is better, and the bad they do is worse. It's more extreme. So when I commit sin, it's infinitely worse than when you do the same objective sin, the same objective act. If I take a pen from work, if I steal a pen from my workplace, 
it's infinitely more evil than if you were to do it. Infinitely more. But if I give money to a beggar with love and with the true devotion, in a truly religious way, I do it for God and for neighbor for God's sake, it's infinitely more valuable than if you give him the same amount of money. It's infinitely more valuable. So the stakes are high. I can really win or I can really lose. <laughs> Whereas you're probably going to coast into heaven. I'll probably end up burning in hell because I have been given so much grace and just abused it. So I could go to hell, literally go to hell for stealing one pen from work if I don't repent. It's a very, very dangerous thing to play with religion. Very dangerous. And what do you make of Occam's razor in relation to religion? I think that's a big, 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 big turning point for the worse in society and Western culture. It's basically the end of the Middle Ages. To me, the Middle Ages are the high point of Christianity. And we are now suffering because of William Ockham, who was nominally Catholic. And it's ironic that I say he's nominally Catholic because he's a nominalist. The name of his philosophy is nominalism. <laughs> well, I mean, the what I mean is that he was not actually the one who came up with Occam's razor. It was just named after him. But what I mean is that the simplest, simplest explanation, explanation is, the best is generally yeah. the correct one. Yeah, but that comes from Occam. It may not have come directly from his lips, but that comes from Occam. This is what happens in philosophy is that ideas are proposed... And if they're true, it bears good fruit. And if they're false, it bears bad fruit. And there's a lot of bad fruit growing out of Occam's ideas. They can seem harmless at the time, and they can seem like they're pious and holy and devout notions. But they're dangerous. And that's why we need to always submit to the church, because the church knows best. The church is infallible. Okay? No matter what we believe in, the purpose is to live each day being the most kind and compassionate member of society that we can be. Let's say that you and I both work at a suicide hotline. And so we both get a call from the same guy. And he's serious. He's not joking around. From my worldview, I can acknowledge the depth of sorrow and despair and hopelessness, especially if he's an atheist. I can understand in a real way the reality of what he's going through and I can offer him real hope because I believe that God is good and that God created him and that Christ died for him and that he's made to be happy with God forever. So I can offer him hope. It's up to him to take it or not. He could kill himself and go to, go to hell. He could also he, kill... Could he not kill himself and go to heaven? He could not kill himself and go to heaven. Well, could he not <laughs> kill himself? I, I don't mean like... What I mean is... Can he kill himself can, yes. and yet still go to heaven? Yes, he can. It only takes a moment for that angel to come and say, are you with God or not? Do you love him or not? Are you returning his love that he freely gave you or not? It's up to you. You're free to choose. So yes, you can kill yourself and go to heaven, but the church teaches very sternly and strictly, you can't kill yourself and go to heaven. But when they say that you cannot kill yourself and go to heaven... There's a nuance behind that. I think it's like, it's similar to how we discussed earlier about the Dalai Lama and how he doesn't want to encourage suicide. <laughs> yeah. But it's very yeah. delicate, very delicate. Yeah. 
I still think that life is better than not life, right? And I still what? think that life is precious and beautiful because in my small scale, it is. So the guy phones you on the suicide hotline, okay? And he asks you, will the pain end when I die? Just tell me, will the I pain end we'll, when I die? Everything will end. Everything. So my pain will end when I die? Yes, but it will also end if you... Okay, I think this is a little bit unfair because the... It is of my The purpose of my beliefs is not to prevent people from killing themselves. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is just... Do you feel like you have the short straw here in this thought experiment? I think I do. I think most... <laughs> I, because I think that I, I do believe I have the long straw when it comes to... Dinosaurs? Uh, yes. Basically, every, well, what I mean is that... Okay, I think that most thought experiments are aimed to prove religious ideas because evolution can explain basically everything about everything, life and that everything that you have i have in terms of science everything yes there's no portion of science that i don't have access to but what to. i mean is that i i believe there's a perfectly reasonable explanation for everything right do you oh yes however okay. as far as i've ever seen there is no proof for god so do you believe that the universe is caused by an uncaused first cause. What I believe is that we do not have the answers. Are you open to the possibility that it is? Because that's my God. I don't think that there could be something that has no cause. Okay, so you, you, your claim, your belief, is that there is no first cause which is itself uncaused. Not in a way that I would be able to understand. What if I told you that no one can ever understand it, but you can believe in it the way I believe I in it? I think you can believe in anything you no, want. But what if I told you that you have no choice but to believe in it, if you want to be rational and scientific? Can I walk you through the, the proof? Sure. Okay. You believe in cause and effect. Everything that happens has a perfectly reasonable explanation, meaning it has a cause. It doesn't just happen without a cause. Right. right? So, you and I are sitting here today, that is the effect of a cause, which in turn was the effect of the state that preceded that state. We can look at it like a series of states going all the way back in time as far as you want to go. And there necessarily has to be a beginning because of the second law of thermodynamics, otherwise known as entropy, where things spontaneously tend to disorder. Right. We can take that river, the water that's flowing from the mountaintop down to the ocean through a stream, we can grab a cup and we can scoop up some water and walk upstream and we can put it higher than where it had flowed down naturally. But spontaneously and naturally, it's always flowing down, okay? But we are like reverse entropy machines. We can reverse that in that little region. We can reverse entropy, but it's so minuscule in the universe and that even it's... And as we do it, we're causing more than we're... Yeah. So there is a tendency in the big picture towards disorder. Right. And so this is the nature of reality, the universe that we live in, and what that means is that given enough time, given a finite amount of time, biological life will no longer be tenable in this universe. It just won't. That means that there is necessarily a beginning. So there's a first cause, which is by definition uncaused. Therefore, you shouldn't say, oh, well, I can't understand that. My brain can't wrap well, around I mean, that. No, no, I, well, I you know that it's the case. I can understand that that's, uh, yes. It, based that? on what we have. That's reality yes. now. However, it's not like I put you a ruler on the ground and yeah. therefore the earth is flat. At one point, that was the best <laughs> that we had. 
And now it's but no longer the best. But we're that we using have. deduction. We're not using induction. We're going to use deduction. We're going to assume the opposite of what I just proposed. We're going to assume that there is not a first cause, which is in itself uncaused. Okay? Because there's a principle in logic called the excluded middle. It's either A or it's not A. There's no third option. It's A or it's not A. So if you say, well, what about B and C and D? Well, those are not A. <laughs> okay? And if B is A, then it's A. Mm -hmm. But if B is not A, then it's not A. So it's either A or it's not A. This is a principle of thought. So either there's a first cause or there's not. There's no third option. You can't just answer chocolate sundae. That's not an answer. Is there a first cause or not? So yes or no. So we're going to do a reduction to absurdity by looking at what you think might be possible. <laughs> Let's see well, if it I is. Mean, of course there must be something before the Big Bang. That's not what we're going to ask ourselves. We're going to make it a lot more simple. We're going to say that there is no first cause that is in, its, in and of itself uncaused, okay? We're not going to put a ruler on God. We're just going to use deduction, use rational thought, and say there is no first cause. What does that mean, logically and rationally? That there is no beginning. That, that just everything <laughs> just is. There's an infinite amount of time behind us. Yes. That's what it means. We can reject that. Even if you didn't believe in entropy and the laws of thermodynamics and the conservation of matter and energy, you could still reject it. Because if you go into the waiting room at the doctor's office and you take a number, as you take your seat, the lady next to you has one number lower. So you won't get to go see the doctor until she sees the doctor, but she can't see the doctor until the person ahead of her has seen okay. the doctor. And so on and so on and so on. And guess what? You're not going to see the doctor. Because... That lineup of people that need to accomplish that physical, material gesture of getting up of their seat and going into the doctor, which is bound up with space and time, it's not a number line where we can just say, oh, infinite numbers behind us, no problem, right? Yeah, that's not a problem. The problem is when you have an appointment and you got to see the doctor and then go pick up your kids from school. That's a problem. And so when there's not just one person ahead of you in line, not just two, not three, not four, not five million, not six trillion, but infinite people ahead of you, you're not gonna have, sorry, your turn ain't gonna happen. You won't be here and you are here, therefore there's a beginning in time, therefore there's a first cause that's uncaused, therefore you believe in my God. You can't possibly reject that without abandoning reason. Yes, there must be something. First cause. First cause, however, that still contradicts the conservation of mass and energy. No, because that applies to the, the physical universe. All of the science that you cherish is limited to the material universe of matter and, and energy. Well, one of the All things of that we believe is that the, there was a universe before this one that collapsed as our universe will and became super, super small, and then I've included that, by the way, in my infinite chain of cause and effect. I've included that, however, all those fantasy stories. However, one of the ideas stories. is that that universe may have had different laws of physics than ours. I've included all and of those so bizarre that, universes in my, in my infinite chain. If that universe didn't work the same way as ours, who is to say that that universe wasn't caused by something else? I'm allowing you, I'm granting you, an infinite chain of cause and effect with all the wacky, weird, string theory, multiverses, bouncing universes, everything you want, I'll give it to you and I'll give you infinite time behind us to accomplish all of it, okay? okay. Multi all dimensions you want, all the strings you want, everything. Now, it's still the case that there's a limited amount of time that would accomplish the heat death. The heat death hasn't arrived, therefore there's not infinite time behind us. 
number one. Number two, you're here, which means that there weren't infinite people butting in line ahead of you to get here, right? Okay, I, what do you mean about the infinite You go people? to the doctor's office, you no, take no, a number. I, under I understand this, but what, you are what here. does that have to do with You me? are here now. It's your turn. It's your turn to be. You're not a Buddhist that just thinks this is all a dream, right? You believe in the physical yes, universe. Yes, so, yes, therefore, everything that happens takes time. We don't live in some spiritual number land where it's just infinite numbers are possible. You're a material creature and cause and effect takes place within time. You're here now, therefore there's a beginning in the universe. Yeah, but in that case, wouldn't it just be like the universe has always been and that's it? You can't say, well, I skipped the line and I'm at the head of the line of infinity. That doesn't work. There are infinite stages that, okay, um, that precede you. So you cannot be here now. I, with the shape of the universe, if the shape is spherical or cylindrical or whatever it is, then all times could exist simultaneously. There's no challenge to my faith from saying that all time might be simultaneous. Of course it is. But how do you escape the infinite chain of cause and effect? Or are you willing to admit that there is a first cause which is uncaused? What I believe is based on evidence, right? In a way that I can experience. And based on patterns, I... You conclude I, that... Well, I don't conclude. My... I don't know anything. I, this, like... And realistically, even if life has no purpose, and I don't think that it has an inherent purpose, we can still enjoy it. Neither of us know what caused the universe. Neither of us can conclusively know that. There's no proof. I claim to conclusively, 100%, with 100% certainty, know that God created the universe. Because there's an alternative. There, there is an alternative. If the Buddhists are right, then there is no physical universe. But there's still God. There's still that one mind. Because you can deny everything you want to deny. You can deny everything, but you can't deny that you exist. So that existence is what you're faced with. And you have to explain it. You can choose not to explain it, but it still cries out for explanation. So I'm right no matter what. I'm absolutely right that God created the universe. If there's a universe. <laughs> okay, well, okay. I... I've... There's no alternative to that. And who's to say that it wasn't a magic unicorn? Because of the nature of the magic unicorn. The magic unicorn has flesh, right? Not necessarily. Okay, Maybe then that's what if, makes it magic. If everything about the magic unicorn corresponds to my god, then it's just my god. The magic unicorn is my god. Well, what I mean You is, know? Okay. What, what's essential is not the name. No, what's essential is the perfection. No, I understand. Yes, but w what makes you think that humans are special and loved by God and will go into a state that is not physical, that we are the special ones that have the special souls that animals don't have and... First of all, I do believe in the resurrection of the body. So I will have a physical body for all eternity. During death I'll be separated from my body. My soul and body will be separated, but I will be given a glorified and perfected body, a physical body. Those who say no to God will go to hell with a body that's subject to torment and that never fully decays because it's always going to be subsisting in pain and agony. That's why there's the urgency to get people to choose God and go to heaven rather than suffering and going to hell for all eternity. And the analogy I'd like to use, if you would allow me to sort of go into this, is the Titanic. People were on the Titanic when it sank. 
And some refused to believe and they perished and some took the warning and got in the lifeboats and lived, okay? This is an analogy, I think, for religion and what's happening and the urgency that you feel from religious fanatics or whatever you want to call them, that you have to choose life, you have to choose God and you have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because we're on a sinking ship and the music's good, people are smiling, they're dancing, the food is wonderful, the decor is sumptuous, but the ship is sinking. And if you don't take that warning seriously, it doesn't matter how fine your garments are, you're going down, right? It doesn't matter how much you smile, it doesn't matter how nice of a time you're having and how polite you are with those around you, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. All that matters is heed the warning, get off this sinking ship. And the way you do that is by turning back to your loving creator, thanking him for everything that you have that's good because it all comes from him and you're not the source of anything good. Only God is the source of every good that you have, your life, your health, your beauty. And turn to him and return his love. What am I supposed to do? Spend my whole trip on the beautiful ship sitting in the lifeboat in case something happens? No. Have you read the lives of the saints? Do you know what it is to be a saint? Do you know what it is to live for God and to give your life to God? It's not a drab and dour waiting room. It's engaging in the world, loving your neighbor, doing God's work. The issue is that you are created by God and you're not even acknowledging the God who created you. So you, you're in danger. You need to acknowledge, first of all, that you're not the source of your own life. And, I don't think I'm the source of my right, own life. Okay, however, step one, I... check. Step two, you need to acknowledge the one who is the source of your own life. And if you want to say mommy and daddy, then you better go all the way back to other mommy and daddy's mommy and daddy, all the way back and see where you end up. And you're going to end up with the first cause, rationally. You will end up with the first cause, which is uncaused. And then you'll acknowledge that, and then you can dress that God up with all the perfections and all the attributes, as reason dictates. How? No. There is no evidence whatsoever that the ship is sinking. By the way, do you and think they, there was evidence on that Titanic, the night it sank? Do you think there was evidence, physical evidence, okay, that the, but, sink, uh, the ship well, was sinking? We yes, or no? yes, but we can't be, t we're not actually talking about the Titanic. But I want to ask you, is it possible for people to be so deluded in their false sense of security that they deny reality and they go about their business having fun, not knowing that by ignoring the very real warning from a very real captain on a very real ship that has hit a very real iceberg with very real evidence, they're dooming themselves to death by ignoring the warning of the captain. You acknowledge Did that, right? Did the captain right? warn the people The captain the sent delegates to warn. And people continued <sighs> to eat and to dance because it was promoted as an unsinkable ship. So is it possible for people to be so deluded and so close-minded to the reality and the evidence of a dangerous situation that they just go about their business? Yes. Yeah. Is there the remotest chance that your life has meaning and that there is an all-good God that created you? Why would he do that? I'm just asking you if there's the remotest possibility in your mind. Is it zero or is it non-zero, the possibility? Zero. Okay. How do you think I went from atheist to monotheist? How do you think that happened? The idea is appealing. I will not deny that the idea of, and it's like I said earlier that life is better than not life, right? And so it would be nice to go about your life believing that no matter what, there's this omnipotent being who loves you and wants you to succeed and wants to arrange all these perfect things for you. And 
that once you die, you're going to go to this beautiful place that's better than anything you can imagine. However, a book that is supposed to confirm itself holds little value to me. That's not the way I see the Bible. I believe in the Bible only on the authority of the Catholic Church. I have a living magisterium. The Church is the Bride of Christ. They're one flesh. So, I don't use the Bible to prove the Bible, so that's not an issue for me. It's an issue for Protestants. It's a big issue. And it's their Achilles heel. But your Achilles heel is morality. You've admitted there's no morality, and that's very honest of you. But One more thing. I just have okay. one question that you, we just didn't get back sure, to. Sure, yeah, yeah, sure. And that was that how do you know that if there is an uncaused cause that it is your God? There's a lot of ideas that contribute to Western thought. There's a lot contributed by Catholic philosophers, and you can't avoid it in the Middle Ages. There's Jewish philosophy, there's Islamic philosophy. So when I realized that the first cause was that God of monotheism, I immediately just had a whole package of perfect attributes. And the fact that God is perfect implies that God is one, because if there are two gods, either they're identical in their perfections, in which case they're not two but one, or one of them lacks something that the other possesses, in which case he's not perfect, therefore he's not God. So to be God is to necessarily, by definition, have all of the perfections, which it is better to have than to not have. Now, a circle is perfect, but God is not a circle because it's not better to be a circle than to not be a circle. So everything that it's better to be than to not be, he is that attribute. And it's just the principle of an effect cannot be greater than its cause. So. Just to wrap up, what would you say to anyone that's listening now? But it seems to me that as long as we live our day-to-day life in a way that is valuable to it, it's like as I've been doing this research in existentialism, which I hate a lot, <laughs> but it, uh, one of the philosophies, it's Albert Camus, and it's that suicide is the only truly significant philosophical question. And the idea there is that before anything else matters, you must decide that life is worth living or not worth living. And from my point of view, if we live our lives in a way that is the most beneficial to everyone, there is nothing better that we can do. Like that is the absolute best because, you know, we are the universe briefly expressed as a person. So, you know, we may as well make the best contribution that we can. And I think that that is the heart of every religion, to be a valuable member of society. And so I think that no matter what your greater beliefs are, if you can do that, then you've met the goal. If you like your worldview, if you think it's swell, if you've got some questions, ask me and I'll tell. All you got to do is ask. All you got to do is. Buy.